0: I talk with DDS Dobson-Smith about specific steps for HR and people ops leadership to create an experience of belonging in the workplace. Dobson-Smith, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me, John.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Connecticut. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about specific steps for HR and people ops leadership to create an experience and culture of belonging within organizations. And I think this is always an important topic. This is one I feel passionate about. I'm super excited to pick your brain and get some of your insights. Uh, and I appreciate you taking time to share with me and my listeners today. As we get started, I wanted to share DDS's bio with everyone. DDS Dobson Smith is the founder and CEO of the executive coaching consultancy Soul Trained and consults for big brands like Target, Spotify, and Udemy. As licensed psychotherapist and author of the number one best-selling You Can Be Yourself here, your pocket guide to creating inclusive workplaces by using the psychology of belonging. He is a leader in the space and in thought leadership. And it's again, pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with me and my listeners by way of your background or personal context before we really dive on into the conversation?
1: Uh, you, no, let's dive on in, John, and see where we go.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, why don't we start? I always like to ask how you found yourself in this space. Uh, you know, you have a unique path, a unique journey, everyone. You know, very few people take a perfectly linear path. How did you find yourself in this space, doing this work uh, in belonging and inclusion, and just creating dynamic environments within organizations?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. It, it definitely isn't linear. I mean, I, I I started out my career very very early doors as being um, in academia and being a, a, a professor in further education in the UK, and I was. At, at the time I was the youngest college professor in the UK and I remember a moment uh, when I was handing back an assignment to a student who was born in the same day in the same year as my mum and uh, the, the, the class that I was teaching was on public house operations because my, my my undergrad is in hospitality management and I'm handing this guy back this this assignment um, and he's the same age as my parents he's had a, he's had a pub longer than I had been alive at the time and I'd graded his assignment a C and I remember looking him in the eyes and going and me going who the heck am I right now and like I just didn't you know I, I we talk about imposter syndrome right in that moment I was like this does not feel good and legitimately did not feel good so I decided I'd go out into industry and I get some get some miles on the clock and eventually go back to academia and that so that started me on a search to find a career or a job that was as closely related to teaching as possible. And I an, ended up in HR or, as it was called back in the day, personnel management. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so from there on in, spent a 25 year long career um, in HR, started as a generalist and then kind of really went into learning and development, org psych, org development. Um and which which I had a 25 year career up to up to board and C suite level, but it was in the learning and development space where I first got into coaching, and realised that as a as a coach I I can only help people to a certain degree, right? And there's there and you know coaching has a very future focused, and a lot of the time in coaching was bumping up against some issues that really required therapy, and I was like, well maybe I'll go and learn to be a therapist, and so. Off I went and um, certified as a therapist and and had a private practice in the UK, moved to the US 10 years ago, nearly 10 years ago, um, only on for a two year assignment, two's led to three, three to four, we got a green card putting down roots and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I feel like I want to practice again as a psychotherapist and it wasn't such an easy job to transfer my credentials as a therapist from the UK into the US so I went back to school. And I did a three-year master's in integral counseling psychology. And as part of that program, I did a research paper into um, the psychological um, experience of belonging and how it impacts workplace performance. And, um, and, that, uh, and, I, and I had an interest in that because my, my career had been in HR really about creating workplaces where people could be themselves and and climates where people could be themselves. Because my theory is when, when you can be yourself at work, um, the psychological energy that would otherwise be taken up, trying to cover code switch, be, be a different version of yourself is unleashed and is available for, you know, innovation, creativity, relationships, work, so this academic paper popped out um, and it was called You Can Be Yourself Here and I was like this is this needs to be out there in the world and of course an academic paper does not make for interesting reading <laughs> so I want the listeners to know that it is not an academic paper in a book it is it it has been peppered with You know, humor and vulnerability and other people's stories and practical real life examples of what organizations and leaders within organizations can do to create a climate of belonging and why they would want to do that anyway.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is fascinating. And it sounds like we share many. Um, aspects to our origin stories. Uh, oh, really? long, longtime listeners of the podcast will know, and I don't want to like repeat myself. And this isn't about me, but uh, I have a PhD in sociology, so I'm a professor. I do consulting work oh. uh, as well as things like this on the side. Um, and and you know, several years ago, you know, I've published a ton in in academic journals. Yeah. Um, but 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 like you said, that only reaches so many people. It does. <laughs> And, and and so I you know I made the conscious choice you know I've been I've always done um, I I I ended up in the HR training and development leadership development space it sounds like for the same reasons you did um, and and so I've always been involved in the practitioner space that way but all my writing was academic and I made the conscious decision a few years ago to move towards the scholar practitioner kind of orientation and make things you know not necessarily try to become a thought leader but just try to, to share things in a way that is going to be usable by and digestible and and accessible. Right. right? Right. And so, and so that's, that's where this podcast came from. That's where a lot of my recent books and and articles have come from. And it's been a fun journey. Uh, I still do the academic stuff. I still teach, I still do academic research, but I find this to be really enjoyable and it informs my teaching in the university space. Um, and my research of course influences you know what i do in the practitioner space so Absolutely. it's a win win all the way around
1: yeah you and i are, you and i share a lot in common i I'm, I'm just about <laughs> to start my phd in human sexuality and i am and i did go back into academia and i'm adjunct faculty at a at a college on the west coast teaching grad students to become therapists
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, with that common ground established, we have yeah. <laughs> two peas in the pod. Um, right. Let's let's talk more specifically about some of the ideas in your book uh, around specifically what HR and people ops leaders, really any leader in an organization, can do as they're trying to establish that psychologically safe environment, culture, and, and really just a place where people can belong. We talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of mm-hmm. which are super important. But if you don't get past that to belonging, I'm not sure you actually get the full impacts, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first thing I, I want to say, and I know you qualified any leaders, I really want to say that diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and, and equity is not the job of HR and people ops. And, and I think the organisations that that fail in this area are the organisations that believe it is somebody else's job to do this stuff. HR and people ops, from my perspective, are, are specialists, are enablers, are, um, are thought leaders. But if if this doesn't, if this topic doesn't become uh, on the agenda of everybody that takes a seat of a, a seat of power in an organisation. Then, um, then, then the organization is pissing in the wind, quite frankly. Um, and so, and so the, the book does lay out a ton of things that, that are in the HR world um, uh, around how to, um, to create diversity in an organization. And I talk about diversity being a fact. You, you either do or do not have diversity and in representation in, in an organization. And then I talk about inclusion as being a behavior and organizational behavior in terms of the policies, platforms and protocols that that an organization uses to go about its business, but also the behavior of its people. And I and it is and and I've I've long time said that that the behavior uh, that a climate of an organization is going to be shaped by the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate in a leader. And so, therefore, this behavior of inclusion, once, once you've got diversity and you've recruited diversity and you've nurtured diversity and all of that sort of stuff, if, if the organization and its leaders don't behave in inclusive ways, you're not going to reach that space of, um, of belonging, which I, which I talk about in the book as being an experience. You experience belonging when there is the presence of psychological safety, which is the, uh, the experience that you have when it's not expensive to be yourself. So there are, there are the book is peppered with practical tools and resources. But when it comes down to it, the difference that will make the difference, the thing that will break the bank is the behavior of the leaders in an, in an organization. And if we have people sitting in seats of power that are, that are, are d- doing... DEI because they know they're supposed to um, versus doing doing DEI and being DEI because of the benefits that it brings not only to the organization, uh, but to society in general. You know, it, it's it's the it's the ones it's the organizations that that understand the the, the deep economics of this and the and um, that will that will succeed in this space.
0: Yeah, you really you can't just give lip service to it. It's not just something for a PR campaign or for a slogan or for a nice poster right. on the wall. Right. You know, having a mission and value statements. You know, those are good, but you got to get beyond that. And, yeah. and in this day and age, most organizations recognize that their consumers expect them to, you know, be socially aware and, and at least surface level inclusive. But, there, but is it actually embedded into the organization? Are those values actually integrated throughout the policies, practices, procedures? Right. Is it actually, does it actually come out in the lived leadership style and experience of leaders throughout the organization, Daniel. right? On on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And right. if you're just giving lip service to it, that but then you're making decisions behind closed doors and those in the in the C suite that undermine that value, then clearly people are going to recognize it for what it is. And it, right. it's it's just a, a facade. And so we have to walk the walk. We have to model it. And and only then can we start to really Uh, permeate this this general attitude, this mindset and culture towards belonging. And you've already mentioned, you know, the the economic benefits, the bottom line ROI of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And that is clearly demonstrated in so much research. I've done some of that research myself. It's clearly demonstrated. Um, And so while the people case, I would hope that the human element, the people case would be enough. uh, The reality is, there's a very clear business case, an economic case, ROI, for these behaviors, for these actions. And so it's really, quite frankly, stupid for, for organizations and leaders who resist it. And so then the question becomes, well, why do so many resist it? Because that's been my experience is the vast majority of organizations that are doing DEI and belonging work, it's still pretty darn surface level. And and even if their intentions are good, even if they have aspirational goals in the space, they're not anywhere close to actually creating an environment of belonging.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I was reading, you know, why... So the the business case is clear. And we see that that because you just look around and see all of these brands who are... I, I was reading an article today about woke washing. And here, here are these, here are these brands, you know, last year, they'll, they'll, they'll slap a black square on their Instagram feed and, and talk about Black Lives Matter. But as soon as you peer inside and look under the hood, there is no black person in a seat of power. There is no ERGs supporting the, the, the black, brown, um, indigenous or Asian communities. We've just, we're June 2nd, we're two days into Pride Month. And just look at all of the brands out there that have slapped a rainbow on their logo. And then, and I wonder how many logos, uh, sorry, how many brands actually have policies and practices that actively support um, the queer community, whether that's trans people being supported on their medical and social transition in work or inclusive parental policies or whatever it is, right? Like it's just, it's so the, the, this movement has, be- has become capitalized because brands know that they are going to make money from it. And yet, when you look under the hood and brands don't, then do, don't do the hard miles, right? And why don't they do it? Well, I, I think because most people are scared of being wrong. And in order in order to do well in this space of belonging and diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to be prepared to be wrong we have to be prepared to have conversations and tread on people's toes and make mistakes and fall over and cause offense and learn from that but because we're so scared of being shamed or blamed or because we're so scared of you know being um you know not being quote unquote politically correct whatever that means we decide instead to not have the conversations which just serves to keep us where we are, it keeps us stuck in our current place, which is a society that promotes and favours anyone that is white, straight, cisgender, male, or or non-disabled.
0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy, Yeah, well said, well said. And I was walking through Target just yesterday. So June first, I'm walking through Target with a friend uh, who happens to be bisexual, and she is just pointing out some of the brand, like you were talking about, some of the branding, um, rainbows and things like that. And and she was pointing out some of the clothing <laughs> that happened to have like rainbows on it, you know, for Pride Month. And she's like, on the one hand, I'm I'm happy that this is happening. I'm I'm happy that it's more visual for uh, for people. On the other hand, who would wear that? Like she, she, she was making the comment. Like, did they actually talk to anybody who's from that community to try to get input as to, you know, what would make sense for, yeah. for, for target to, to, you know, put their best foot forward. Now, I don't know. I actually don't know anything about target and their policies and practices around LGBT Q plus inclusivity. Maybe they're great, but, but in this instance, you know, her comment was, you know, so many organizations, just simply don't actually ask the people within their organizations that could actually inform them and help them better understand what a, a culture and environment of belonging or inclusivity would be. What, what if, if, you're, if you're in the product space, what types of products and services, you know, would actually be of value uh, and and add to the dialogue in the conversation rather than just com- strictly commercialize it right uh, and that was kind of her critique uh, of of Wal- of uh, not walmart of target and and i think it was a very valid one it's 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 been evident in other places that i've seen and it's something you just highlighted in what you said so the, you know the, again having aspirational Uh, values that we're striving for is great. And we may not be there yet. And I, nobody expects you to be perfect, but you got to engage in the space. And then you have to actually listen to the people who are from those populations Uh, on the other side of that spectrum. So, so maybe a company that has good intentions, but isn't listening um, in the right way, aren't engaged, isn't engaging um, people from those disadvantaged populations in the right way uh, to the other extreme where you see an organization that has really good intentions um and they really want to hear the the those voices they want to put um people from those populations from within their employee group in those seats of power right and i I saw this uh recently with an organization i was working with they've had a really hard time in the gender space um with with just misogyny sexism and really imbalanced um hiring practices. So, you know, just hugely imbalanced 80% men and st- you know, not, no gender balance. And so they made the decision that they were every single hiring committee for a new position had to be chaired by a female. Um, and on the one hand, I think that sounds great because, <laughs> because, you know, they, they, they've been perpetuating this problem for so long and you got to do something to disrupt it. On the other hand, again, only 20% of the, um, uh, only 20% in the organization are female. And now they have to chair every single search committee. Like now we're just burdening and piling on to this population that's just gonna have to do more and more work. <laughs> and, and so that's not the answer either, right? And so we we have to engage in the space. We have to have the dialogue. We have to make, create and uh, and maintain policies, practices and procedures that promote equity and, and can create that safe environment. But man, we gotta both listen and not overly burden. Uh, people from those populations thoughts on how to navigate that
1: yeah 100 i mean it's complex right so i understand the positive intention behind what that organization did but i remember when i was a kid watching tom and jerry cartoons and there was a moment when I think Jerry had flooded the washing machine, and Tom had had shut the door to the washing machine room. And then the water started spurting out of the keyhole, and he put a pour there. And then water was starting out. Then he put another pour up there, and then water was so he put another pour. And that's the thing: like you, you, you have to take an holistic approach to this. You can't just solve spot problems because we live in a web of uh, of systems that have been set up in a certain way so positive intention behind having a female chair the recruitment committee but then it then basically it's saying okay it's over to you it's your problem to solve women right like which is quite frankly not okay and yes so, yes so you i i think there is a you need to start earlier than that and you need to think about who's designing the job descriptions Um. Who's, um, and, and who's designing the structure of the organization? And is that balanced in terms of perspectives on how to create an organization and how to set up a job? Um, because it, it could be inherently biased towards a certain population. Once you've done your job architecture and you've made sure that the biases have been kind of worked out of that, then you go into your recruitment practices. Are you advertising jobs in a place where your audience are going to consume those jobs? Or are you always advertising at, you know, historically white colleges? Or are you advertising only on LinkedIn? Or are you going to places where parents, mothers, queer people, Black people, Asian people might, might see the ad and therefore apply and then when they do apply are you are you taking action to make sure that names are removed from resumes in order to remove um name bias um, and or certain information so that when it goes through the first sift those biases again are mitigated so that when it does get to um when, when it does get to an interview have you got a balanced candidate list that you, or a short list, or even a long list that you've arrived at that has had the biases, natural biases, mitigated? So you got to start way before the actual interview if you want to recruit diversity into the organization.
0: Yeah, very well said. And undergirding all of this, you know, is, is really, well, it's both a foundation and an outcome. So it's going to be self-reinforcing, but we have to create a psychologically safe environment where there's mutual accountability and trust, right? So from that comes the foundation of these policies, practices, procedures that can help to increase the diversity, equity, and inclusion elements. And it's a byproduct of that, that you're just going to get more and more of it to have that sense of belonging within the organization. So this it, it is complex. We got to work on it. Let's have the conversations. Let's keep it moving forward. Um, I, I'm I'm committed to it, and I know we can move the needle. I know we can we can actually make rapid progress if we just continue to engage. Well, DDS, it has been a pleasure. I note the time. I have to let you yep. skip here in just a minute before we close. Though I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you and find out more about your work. And then any final word you might have on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, so feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, DDS Dobson Smith. You can also head over to Soul Train's website, which is www.soultrained.com. You'll find a page on there called Shift Happens, which is jam packed full of articles, blogs, and podcasts. There's also um, a couple of pages on there where you can order my current book, You Can Be Yourself here, and also preview the up-and-coming book, which is published in September called Leadership as a Behavior, not a title.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what DDS can do for you, check out his books. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen organizations stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives thought leaders and scholars from across the globe the future leader will help you explore the ordinary everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work to respond to an uncertain future and to produce extraordinary results for individuals teams and organizations